see you. I, uh, this is my fourth uh, prayer encounter in the last um, month or so, and um, these things were kind of, even when we dreamed about this one, we thought about 50 people over in that room, so this is a little bit different, and that's fine, but it's not, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a win, and it's going to be a challenge, because here's the deal, is I, I want to do more than just kind of preach to you. I'm hoping to, um, to train and encounter and set you free and empower you in what I think is uh, core to our destiny and our, our, our identity. And so we'll, go, so we'll see how that goes. Um, there's a couple of things I just want to kind of get out of the way before we start. Um, there's some ways that this will be a, a success and the ways it'll be a failure. Um, it'll be a success if we preach Jesus. It'll be a failure if all I do is preach prayer. Um, I don't want to just preach prayer to you. Prayer is the description of what we do when we interact with the living God. And so um, I don't want to come in here like, oh, prayer's the thing, prayer's the thing. Prayer's not the thing. Jesus is the thing. And so we're just talking about how to interact with him, how to move in the spirit in that kind of way. Um, it will be a success if we exalt the great man, Christ Jesus. The only great man of God on the planet is, is the Lord Jesus. Um, failure if in some way you're under the delusion that I have this down really well. I started doing prayer like 35 years ago. We were doing three times a day in El Dorado in the 90s and uh, have had iterations of doing 24-7 and doing some various things. I led a lot of prayer meetings, but I'm still on the, on the learning curve. You know, I'm still just learning like crazy how to interact with the Lord. I've got all my issues of pride and fear and anxiety and then add another 17 things in there. And I'm walking around in a human body in a world that's raging with distractions everywhere, and so I'm proclaiming to you truth, but it's not like I'm at home floating around on a cloud perpetually in prayer. I've met a few deluded people that thought that's what I did. I'm like, you see me for a few minutes here or there on stages, and you think, anyway, it's not true. It's not true. I'm walking in a human body in a human soul that's working through it. I'm a son of the living God. The spirit of God's working in me. I've got the opportunity to serve other sons and daughters. But you need to know, and it's real important, that you see a fellow struggler who's moving toward his destiny. Can you do that? Yeah. Thirdly, um, I don't like conferences very much. So I've never gone to a conference and stayed through the whole thing. So I'm giving you permission to leave it. Don't leave right now. <laughs> but I'm giving you, I'll go to conferences and I'll, I'll catch the one main thing. And I'm like, that's enough for me to chew on for a year right there. There's so much content, sometimes it overwhelms me. And I'm about to do that to you. I'm going to enunciate. I'm going to say it clear. You've got notes in front of you. It's probably going to be a lot to process. I've invited, and I want to get, I don't know, where's Aaron? Aaron, what are you doing? You should be up here somewhere. But I wanted the mic near Aaron and toward Ryan, who would interrupt. You should, what are you, why are you back there? I want, I want you to, yeah, right. I just want you to be near a thing, because I'm inviting them to interrupt me while I preach. Um, Jason and I, Jason's done quite a few, uh, done a couple of these with me, and we, man, the last one at Morningstar, they were just interrupting me constantly, weren't they? It was awesome, because I'd rather have a dialogue with you than do a monologue. And, um, and so I want you to throw your hand up. It's a little bigger crowd for us to do that kind of thing. I've asked these guys to say, hey, say that again. That was preacher talk. You know, describe that. What do you mean by that? They may do it. They may not. 
but um, I just wanted you to know, uh, I'm not a big conference guy, and I just want you to relax. I'm, I get it. There's going to be a lot of content. We'll do what we do here. I hope it's anointed. I, 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 listen, I'm not as concerned about anoint. I'm, I'm in the anointed one, so I came with the anointing. There's an anointing within us that actually is the primary teacher in all of our lives. There's a place in First John, you remember that says, you don't need anyone to teach you. The anointing within you, yeah, God's not anointing so much people as he is the anointing, and people carry him. So he came with me, and there's a splashy inspiration I have every now and then. I can be fairly engaging at some levels, but all of that's going to go away, and you're going to forget it by the time you leave. We really want something impactful to happen here that sows something in you that gives you insight into who we are in Christ. So, yeah, does everybody have notes? Do you, who, needs, who did not get notes? We'll come bring them to you. Raise your hand. You got notes? Okay, great. Um, amen, great. So if I've diffused this whole thing, that'd be great. That's what I want to do. So let me, let me start with this. I got a little introduction. I want to get out of the way really quick, um, and then I'm going to jump into the two main sessions of tonight. Um, there was something else I wanted to say. Um, I'm just thankful for this house. Thank you, thankful for you guys taking time and carving this out. Appreciate you boys walking with me the last six, seven years. I mean, it was already in your hearts. I mean, I, I, everywhere I went, people like made the mistake. I made the mistake thinking, Sam started the prayer movement in Wichita or did it in Abilene. Or I, I didn't do any. I'm not trying to be self-whatever. I would show up at pastor's meetings, and the Spirit of God was already stirring all these guys. They were like, yeah, we've been thinking about this a long time. We were actually talking about it before you got here. Um, these guys were doing the same thing. They had this DNA in them. I just might have been a little bit of splash of fuel on what was already a spark in, in, their, in their life. So um, I, I approach you that way too tonight. Um, I, I'm hoping I don't do a lot new. You, the Spirit of God's already been kind of talking to you. I, I've said before, one of my favorite things as a teacher is when someone says to me, Duh, I already knew that. I just didn't know how to say it yet. I love that. Because then I know I'm partnering with the Holy Spirit. He's doing a really great job teaching everybody. But sometimes we're having a hard time interpreting. I'm kind of like an interpreter. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm your interpreter from heaven to earth. And so I hope you have some moments that, go, that resonate in your heart and go, oh, yeah, that's what I've been feeling. So anyway, we'll, we'll lean in on this and we'll see how the Lord uh, takes us. So prayer is almost universally honored um, in all religions and much of the religions of the world. And um, also among the lost. Often it's kind of a superstitious thing, but prayers generally, it's honored everywhere. And that's kind of cool in some ways because I think it, we'll talk about it why. I think it's just natural because humans are made to pray. It's one of the most human things about us, and we'll, we'll get there. Um, but it's also troublesome because there's so many religious iterations of prayer we know it, but we don't know it. I say that about the Lord's Prayer. The most known prayer that almost no one knows. You know? And so familiarity and the practice and the culture of prayer and the way we see politicians use it and this and that. And thank God for every one of them that stops and prays. But sometimes something's been kind of stolen from it, you know? And so I feel like we're a little bit trying to free people from a worldly spirit that distracts them from prayer. And mostly from a religious spirit that's rewritten the narrative about prayer, where most of us feel guilty, we're not doing enough, we're da-da-da-da-da, we're going through the motions. And so I hope that we make some progress here in helping you in your prayer life. Uh, prayer encounters are intensive equips designed to empower the church. So I'm here to do this tonight because of a commission on my life 
I supposed to give up, I felt like I was supposed to give up pastoring, shepherding, to give myself as a missionary to the church, and working under a mandate um, of, uh, you know, I, I was in South Korea a few years ago and just felt this, you know, there's global consequences for what you do with prayer in Kansas. And um, I just heard that in my heart, and that's what drove the prayer movement from 2015 on a little bit. And then I hear on the interstate, driving to Kansas City to meet with a prayer leader, I want to raise up 100,000 intercessors that are all praying the same word of God the same day. And so we'll talk about the apps and all that and forget the numbers. The numbers, don't, the numbers are big only because they're like beyond what we can do. But I think that though prayer is, almost everyone says, yeah, to prayer. Of course, prayer. You know what I mean? We should do it. Um, though we kind of give a nod to it, I think we've not been very equipped in it. It's almost like we just assume everybody's going to know how to do it. And by the way, it's as simple that a child can do it, right? Anybody can do it. But there's some complexities to it too and a labyrinth of, of warfare and all kinds of, kind of dynamics that are going on that I think we should lean in together. So when the disciples came to Jesus said, teach us how to pray, it's such a testament. Don't teach us how to preach, teach us how to, you know the deal. Teach us how to pray because they, as good, I like that Aaron said that, as good Jew boys, they probably knew prayer. It was in the culture. But they watched Jesus and went, we're not doing that. And none of the rabbis we've ever seen are doing what you're doing. We need taught how to pray. Um, because there's all kinds of wrong ways and funky ways and off-track ways. So anyway, I wrote in there uh, prayer etymology. It doesn't matter to that. But prayer is the first time it was ever used. It's a Latin word from the Middle Ages. And um, there's a way, I don't know how to say the word, but basically it's not only entreaty and asking for something. It's the practice of praying or communing with God. And that's where I'll lean more into. The Hebrew word there, in fact, the essence of the prayer Hebraic mindset was twofold. Yes, requesting something, but the other aspect of it is to utter from the heart through the mouth or to utter solemnly without voice or words, praise or worship to God. So it's a, it's a, it's a heart engagement. This is how I see prayer is not so much when we say certain words, but when our heart moves toward his heart. And then those hearts touch, and I'm going to try to get practical with that. That sounds like good flowery language. But when our hearts touch his heart, something dynamic happens. It's really what the words mean. The Greek word is the same thing. It means actually perniscu. It means to come toward or to come to the face of God. And so I write those down because I, in its simplest form, our definition of prayer is relational communication or heart level. And I mean that real sort of relational communication we've got in a thousand forms and functions. From groans and grunts to services to, but it doesn't matter. It happen, prayers happens in a lot of different ways, but it involves the heart. So prayers first mention the Bible in its hint in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are walking along there and God's showing up walking. They hear him walking, whatever that means. And then the rauk, the spirit's blowing. They can hear that in there. And so they're interacting in unashamed innocence. You know how it is right there. And it's a wonderful thing. It's at the core of the pilot program that is Eden. God planted Eden in Iraq area. That's where the rivers are, right? And it was the pilot program for what the whole earth would become, right? So the whole earth is good. The earth will become the garden spot of the universe. Does everybody know that? You are in part of Eden. He, wa he wanted Adam and Eve to spread that thing everywhere. And Jesus is going to get it done. This place is going to be free of death and Satan and all that kind of stuff. We're headed toward that way. Um, but in the middle of the garden, they're in that unashamed. And then they fall. And then Seth begins to call. In, in Galatians 4, there's a, I mean, in Genesis 4, there's kind of a distance. They begin to call out upon the name of the Lord. 
Not like walk with him, be with him. Genesis 3. It's they would call out. And then our Bible's full of veils and temples and altars that all kind of are cool access, but they've got a distance to them. There's always a distance between. So the new covenant blows the doors off this reality of distance. I hope we blow the doors off of distance. Some of you tonight feel, maybe, maybe not, you're the hungry people, whatever, but you might feel distance from God. I'm telling you, there is no distance if you're in Christ. It's only a perceived thing, and it's a wrong thought. He's closer to you than you are to yourself. And he's breaking in for us to become what we are. A couple facts about prayer. 650 prayers listed in the Bible, 450 recorded answers. Prayers mentioned 1,000 times in 61 of the 66 books. This is a main theme of the Bible. In the short gospels that we have, Jesus 25 times is away praying. And we don't even know all the times. So Luke 5.16, he's going to often withdrew, withdraw to lonely places. He's just constantly doing this activity. In the New Testament, Paul mentions prayer 41 times and gives us over 40 prayers. Did you know that? And I put that in there, not like you can tap on the link of your paper. and you're gonna, <laughs> There's a hyperlink in your paper. What good is that, right? Sorry about that. But I did want to give it to you for you to look up because there's a list of all Paul's prayers. Paul didn't just tell us he prayed. He gave us the script to his prayers. That's why John 17 is this. I'm like, oh, I can't believe we get this. Jesus prayed all the time, but I get to look at him. I get to window into him talking to his daddy in the Godhead. What a glorious, glorious thing. It's more than sermon material. That's, that's the Trinity interacting in John 17, and you can lean into the fire of that and see how that interaction happens, and you can do that with Paul's prayers. Paul's praying, Dan, nine of his 13 letters, he says he's praying constantly, never stopping. I make this point all the time to preachers, whether they're international or here, ones that I'm around. Paul prayed a thousand times to one preaching. He prayed a thousand times to, I believe, every time he preached once. He prayed day and night and constantly. He ever now and then got on his donkey to somewhere and would stay anywhere from three weeks to three months, one place, two years, and did some teaching, wrote a few powerful letters that I like. You know, they're awesome, but he's praying way more than he's preaching. If that alone happened with shepherds in Wichita and the earth, what a revolution we would have. And so I'm always trying to beg them, be good studiers and preach good sermons. But I hope you end up praying more than you study. Martin Luther would say prayer is the best form of study. It is the best form of study is prayer. Leaning in and doing that. So this is kind of a big deal. So this prayer conference is this. I'm going to break this down. Tonight we're going to do the why of, why of prayer. Why, why, why is there prayer? And then tomorrow we're going to break into the how with three sessions. It will be two tonight and three tomorrow. And kind of, say, and you can look at the titles that are in there. But all of these things, that, um, yeah, this, this is my mission, is just try, to try to train you and move you into a full under, fuller understanding of what this thing of prayer is. How many of you have been to a prayer conference? It was that, only that. Just raise your hand really high. All right, so, yeah, two out of 150. <laughs> but just there's not many of them. There's not many of them. It's not a big, it ought to be, I think, an annual, if not quarterly thing. Yeah. And I, and I know I'm the prayer guy, but I'm only the prayer guy because I like God guy. I'm, I'm into prayer because I'm into God. Yeah. And so um, I just want to help people talk to him and interact with him. But th- that's, that's, isn't that interesting, yeah. too? Yeah. There's not many prayer conferences. And, and, and then I could start asking you, I get more numbers. How many of you sat through prayer sermon series? You know, I'm sure a few more have done that, and that's good. 
and I love it, but I just think this is so important that we need to dive in in a big way and take Fridays and Saturday nights and begin to go deep in the subject of prayer. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the why of prayer. I talk to people all the time, and they know about, or I've heard about, or read a book about the how of prayer. How do I pray? What words do I say? And I'm going to do that tomorrow. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Word of God, the Lord's Prayer, all that kind of stuff. Go deep in that stuff. But I think the why of prayer should be at the headwaters. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? Um, and we're going we're gonna to answer that through two things tonight by, uh, around the issue of identity. We're going to unpack the answer of why we pray is found in who God is and who we really are. When we unpack who he is, we get the why, and then we can do the how. So we don't want to get the how before we do the who, because then we'll miss the why. But if we get the, everybody with me? We get the, the why with the, and then it's answered with the who, and then we'll do the how. There we go. Thank you for the dialogue. That's great. Amen. So um, I uh, sat in, our, in plain views where my wife and I live on mission with some docs doing stuff, and I look out my front door, and we, we, got, we got south side. We got a big oak tree out there, and I got south side squirrels, man. I mean, they're rough. You don't want to turn your back on these squirrels. <laughs> Switch blades, do-rags. It's awesome. But they're, they're, they're working that oak tree and working the acorns, I mean, just feverishly every day, four, five, six. Our dogs always want to get out, and they'll run, and then boom, squirrels come out of everywhere and run up the tree, and they're working the acorns. And it was just, it's interesting that those squirrels never have a meeting to talk about why they're doing it. They don't wonder it. There's no business. I don't see them sitting in a circle, and then they, you know, and why are we doing this? Because they're eating them, but then they're burying them, and then they're flinging them around, and, and it's a crazy deal. The geese are headed south, right? They do it. It's amazing. Hundreds of miles, they'll fly. The, but, but they never have a meeting to go, why do we do this? Yeah. Well, it's cold. Yeah, that's good. You know, I don't know. But they don't do it because they're not image-bearing beings with a sense of self-consciousness. They do. But you are. You're an image-bearing being, so you should be existentialist. Existentialist means existentialism is the philosophy of finding out why do I exist? That's what human beings, we should ask this question. Human doings don't need to ask this question. Human do I just do this, I do that, I work at that, I do that. But the question should be asked, and some of you do it, and it torments you about your job, possibly your relationships. Why am I in this? You're made to ask that question. And you need to dig in, and there's mystery in life, but there's some answers to these things. And I'm telling you, we need to be existentialist about prayer. Why is there prayer? And especially with verses like Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Jesus is going to say, the Gentiles think they'll be heard because of their many, their many words. They're, they're heaping up words. But verse 8 says what? Don't, don't do that. Don't repeat because your Father in heaven helped me finish it. He knows what, before you ask, is that the, it's a good hermeneutic. Your father already knows, go with me. He fully knows. Okay, wait a minute then. What do I bring to the table here? What do I bring? You already know what I am going to ask and what I need. That should offend us all if we think deeply about it. Because prayer is basically... We tell God 
what he often tells us to tell him and that he already knows. (laughs) We tell God what he's inspired us in our human brokenness is blood. He already knows it. So why am I telling him? Why am I talking to him? Why is he inviting me into that? You need to ask that question and wrestle with it. It's a mystery. Well, or do this. God told us to. And I'm I'm good. He did. He told us to, but we can get underneath this thing even more than that that will unlock something, I think, for our hearts. Anybody with me so far? So we're going to be good existentialists tonight and dig in deep on this deal. It's important to have, number one, a prayer theology rooted in the glory of God, the glory of who God is before we have a prayer anthropology rooted in the needs of man. Most prayer philosophy is a prayer anthropology, the study of man. It's what we need and what it does for us. And by, we have needs. (laughs) And it does amazing things. I'm not anti that. But if that precedes your prayer theology, we need a, we need a, you know what the word theology means. Help me, all of us that have rejected that, us low church hippie people wearing, look at me, I'm in my jeans. I don't have a collar on. But we're not, we've, we've got a little bit of a reaction to theology. What does the word theology mean? Thea, theo is God. Ology is the study of God. Not the study of doctrine. Doctrine only exists so we can describe God. We need more theology. You need to study, make this the primary activity of your heart and your life. It's what will fire your heart. God designed you. It will fire worship in your life if you really do theology right. If you're going to get theology to get doctrine to argue with everybody, dead hearts. Division and dead. But theology, true theology, builds us deep in this thing, and we need that root in. So, number two, God is the reason for all reality. I think you would agree with that, but can you go in your Bibles, uh, Romans 120? Um, I've got some of these verses in, some I don't. I almost in discipleship wanted to require everyone to memorize this verse. Um, Romans 120, Paul is making his argument of why men are without excuse on the planet. They don't have the law. They're not Jews. And his primary argument is creation. Verse 119, it's in 119, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God's shown it to them. How did he show it? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, that's the invisible stuff of God, have been, I love this, clearly perceived or clearly seen. The invisible things about God are clearly seen. How? Through the creation. So what that says, right, in accordance with and along with many verses, but Psalms 19, 1, 3, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. That's why it's there. Day by day, the earth is, and the skies are pouring out speech, preaching sermons. Night to night, it reveals knowledge. There is no place where their speech is not heard. Listen, creation is a sermon. Creation, it's God talking to us all. He didn't like, how do I get an eco, how do I make planets not run into each other? How do I tilt the earth so there's life on there? All of it is preaching something. Every mosquito, every giraffe, I'm telling you, every planet, it's a sermon. Every day you get a sermon. Every day you come out of an age of night and darkness, and what happens on the mornings? The 
sun does what? Rises. <laughs> Resurrection all over the place. And then it's light, and we get kingdom, the day, and then it goes down. And it's round and round we go. And it's more than, why did he make it a circle? So he could preach a sermon. That's why he did it. He moved it so he could say the sermon. So that's why, and we won't go there. I wanna, I'm going to get distracted. That's why I have a problem with the second verse in the Bible. Why do I have a problem with the second verse in the Bible? What's the second verse in the Bible? And the earth was dark and void and empty. Creation is a manifold wisdom, manifold sermon about God. That's preaching the wrong sermon. My God has no darkness. There's no shadow turning in him. There's no void and darkness in him. Chaos. So why is the earth like that? Well, we can, that's another sermon. Tom, you and I can argue over this, but I don't know. I think it's Satan fell and we've got trouble on the earth. And creation days are getting back the right sermon. Day one, day two, day three, let's get the sermon right. Let's get some light and life filling this thing because God is the reason for all reality. So three, the Trinitarian reality and relationship, Christian orthodoxy states that we have one God in three persons. Everybody agrees with that, say amen. 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 You Trinitarian people who inherited that from the fourth century, well, councils hammered this out. What do we do with this man Jesus who's also God? Do we have two gods now? The God in heaven and the God Jesus? They hammered it out and hammered it out. Everybody, we ought to, I think on the count of three, we ought to thank Nicaea, the Nicaean Creed. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you, Nicaean. Bunch of low church people, you. But we, all oh, those councils and those whatever, they were hammering out the most important stuff in the Bible. And we got it. You inherited Trinitarian. My kids know. One God, three persons. They just know it. Nobody had to go battle it out in the Bible and figure that out. We get to inherit it. It's in the Bible, but it's a, pre, it's a glorious thing. So we have a one God, Yahweh, who exists in three persons. And those three persons are not static. They're relating with each other. They're talking to each other. They're doing dynamic things. So number four is the two things I've got the big components they're doing. God right now, one God, they're relating the three persons. They're having intimacy, John 17, 24. Jesus said before the creation of the world, Father, you loved me. What was he doing before he made anything? They were loving each other. What is that like? What does that look like? What are they doing? Are they saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I don't know what they're doing. But there, there's a transfer at an eternal level of love that is the core of all human nature. Love's the greatest commandment, right? It's because God is love. When it says God is love, guys, doesn't mean he just has the attribute. It means he's loving. God is not by himself. He's with himself, and they're doing love. Am I still with me? God is loving himself. He is the essence of love. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. That's why it's built in. That's why we worship is because God built in intimacy is the core of human or of real relationships. Also, intercession. Psalms 2.8, and we'll get there. But you'll see the, the father says to the son, ask me for the nations. They're not only doing the I love you, I love you, I love you. They're also working on projects together. And they're talking to each other about it. Give me the nations. And we'll get there. Why did he have to say it? But they're, they're doing intimacy and they're doing intercession. Worship and prayer 
are at the core of who God is. That's why he did it. So number five is, I would say, simply put, this is my whole theology. We talk to God because God talks to God. What? If anybody asks you, why do we talk to God? Why do we have to talk to God? We talk to God because God talks to God. Mm. That's how he designed everything. It's not normal for you not to talk to God. Yeah. It's not, no, not, not just bad. You've all got it in the realm of bad. Yeah. It's not normal. You're not being human. God who made image bearers, the image bearers are going to do what he does. And what he does is, I love you, I love you, I love you. Yeah. And oh, by the way, let's work on some projects. Let's cleanse the earth of the devil. Let's get these talking snakes off the planet. Amen. That's what he was doing with Adam and Eve, and they failed, but we will not. Yeah. We will soon crush Satan's head yeah. under our feet through the gospel of peace. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Number six, Trinitarian dynamic relational interaction, that's a long phrase, is at the heart of all creative actions. And I want you to meditate this with me, because it's glorious, and I want, I want to do this as a model right now let's savor it but later go deep and lay on your bed or get in a place and think about this god when god interacts with god power manifest yeah. so the best place i can do that is genesis 1 and i believe with all my heart that 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 blow that's more than history that by revelation was given who wrote genesis 1 by the way does anybody ever know who wrote that genesis 1 moses and Moses is how far from when that happened? Does anybody remember? 2,600 years. 2,000, he was not there when God said. But he got it in a supernatural 40-day fast on a fiery mountain where he not only didn't eat food, he didn't drink water. It's the only one in the Bible. Did you know that about Moses? He did not drink water when he was up there. You don't do that and live. God supernaturally sustained him and downloaded the Torah to him. The ultimate download in the cloud. There was a cloud up there. <laughs> I'm embarrassed I even said that. So, But Genesis 1, the revelation, the revelation is, and what's happening, there's God's interacting with God to make the days, guys. You know, walk with me. In the beginning, God. Yeah. Does everybody know the word there, God? Elohim. Plural, by the way. It's plural. The God, Elohim is plural there. And then it's created a singular verb in the Hebrew. That's not how you write Hebrew. If it's plural, you put a plural. Okay? It's, it's, he, it's, a, it's a mix-up because our God is a community. It's a Godhead. So God and all that he is created the heavens and the earth. I think that's a complete statement. Bam, he did it. Then I've got the unveiling of something that's happened, which is the fall of Satan, which we all kind of believe in, not our point tonight. But what we see is the spirit. We see a person in the, in the Godhead doing something. Remember, the, there was darkness over, and where was the spirit of God? The spirit of God was doing what? Hovering. He was hovering. The, the Hebrew word there is shaking or like a, another word, like a mother hen. You ever heard that? On an egg. Nestling around on that egg. I can't believe I did that. Publicly, we're not videoing. But he's on the egg. The hen's on there ready to nurture, but not in it. Not, the spirit is not in that realm. It's really clear there. Then verse 3. And God said. 
Now, when, when I read the words, I, I, tr- I did your youth thing one night, and I said, find Jesus for me in Genesis 1, the first place. Where is he? You know where it is? And God said is where it, there it is. Because he is the word. He's the word. Amen. The word of God. Every time you see it, God said, God said, God said right there, that's Jesus according to Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, and Revelations 1. It's God speaking. And what's he speaking? Stuff he just comes up with? No, he's only speaking what he discerns the Father's heart is. Watch. So we got a spirit hovering over this thing, mass and darkness. He won't go in it until what happens? Till Jesus says back to the Father what's in his heart. You want light? Let there be light. Bam, spirit goes, creates light particles. Do you you know you don't get uh, the sun until the fourth day. Does everybody know that? There's no sun until the fourth day. This is supernatural God-produced light. And it's the Trinity interacting in power, and out of their interaction, boom, creation in order. You have an amazing God. Jesus is the ultimate discerner of God's heart, the Father, He says it back to him, and then the spirit moves. That's a law. It's a law. So you do know, this is why, if you'll think, this is why he liked David so much. The little shepherd boy that they left out of the business meeting with Samuel. He gathers the seven sons, and yeah, and Samuel's in town. He's the most famous man in Israel. Jesse's there with the boys, except David, who's out mowing the lawn or scooping the sheep stuff. You know what I mean? He's... He's doing his thing, and then bam, no, no, no. These guys, probably some of them had a good heart, good battlers. But what's the thing about David? What's the thing about David? I found a man after my own. Uh, You know what he was doing? That's like my son. That's like my son. That's why I like David. I'm not just making a dramatic story of the little guy. That looks like my son. And I'm going to bring that forth at the leadership of Israel. Did that make sense to anyone in here? Jesus is the seeker of the Father's heart. So is David, and that's what he's looking for from all of us. Because we're in a season of moving out of Saul. I mean, man, we've had this leaders in the church that wants the hand of God to do stuff for them. But he's raising up a David generation that wants his heart. I like his hand. But when you only want his hand, you don't care about his being and his heart. He's raising up a generation. That's why this worship and prayer movement is just exploding. He's raising up a generation that wants his heart, and then they're going to see the move of the hand of God that will basically end the age and kill the devil forever. Number seven, the Trinitarian law of interaction provides the ultimate why of prayer. God's not looking for information from us. He's desiring slash demanding interaction with us. This is confirmed by what Jesus said, and I got that verse there again, that is the offense of prayer that he already knows. But I said this Saturday, I think, I don't know if Casey's here and Angela, but um, Casey said, man, that's the part that got me on Sunday morning, is God's not looking for information. He's looking for interaction. When the Father and the Son's heart touches, and they get, bam, power, it's the same thing for us. He's not... Why he already asked me to tell him something he already knows? Because he wants me to interact with him. Say it back to me. Just say it back to me. That's what's going on in Psalms chapter 2, 
verse 8. Does everybody, I hope you know that. You should be required to know Psalms 2. Let me, let me take you there real quick. We're doing good on time. Psalms 2. This is where we'll end. Psalms 2. This is what's happening with the Father and the Son, just to make the point again. The, this is 12 verses. The first three, David talks. The second three, the Father talks. The third three, Jesus talks. And the last three, David talks again. Charles Spurgeon called it a great foreseen drama. And here he is. David says the nations are raging. They're kicking off. They don't tell us what to do with sexuality, with babies in our wombs. That's what, that's what the first three. It's the Antichrist alliance spirit against God, okay? Why do the nations rage? Da, 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 da. Then the father responds in verse four. He who sits in heaven, the father, laughs. He's not, a, he's not upset. The Lord holds him in derision. He speaks to them in his wrath, and here's, what's his statement to them? This is his global plan and his answer to rebellious kings. To elect a certain Republican, no. <laughs> Verse 6, as for me, I have set my king, capital K in your Bible, I hope, Jesus, not David, on Zion in Jerusalem on my holy hill. My answer to the nations that are rebelling is I'm bringing I'm, the enthronement of my son. And that's what your book of Revelation is, is the enthronement of the Son. It's not just a scary book. It's breaking the Antichrist spirit and bringing, okay, this thing about. And so the next verses are then, verse 7 is the most quoted Old Testament verse in the, in the New Testament, by the way. Um, it's this, and I will tell the decree, the Lord said to me, the Father said to me, Jesus, you are my Son. Today I've begotten you. And then verse 8, we love this in the missions movement, ask me. And I'll make the nations your heritage. The father says to the son, ask of me. And I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Why? Why? Does the father know that he wants the nations? Yes, Yes, he knows. Does the son? He knows he wants it. The father knows he wants it. The information is there. But the father, please meditate this. The father's looking at it. Just say it to me. Yeah, watch. It's going to be, it's foolishness to your intellect, but it should fire your heart. Yeah. Just look me in the eye and say it to me. I'll give you the nations. He did this with Solomon. Ask me for anything. Yeah. He knew he wanted wisdom. He was going to do this great answer. You need to say it. Say it back to me so I know your heart's engaged. You're combining with my will, and then the sparks will fly off that thing. That happens in the Trinity. How much more for us? You want Wichita? Do you want Wichita? Do you want thousands saved? Say it to me. Say it back to you. You want drug dealers? You want human trafficking? You know what I'm saying? Say it. We don't just sit around hope. We say it back to him, and when we say it, the spirit begins to move in dynamic and powerful ways. It's the law of Trinitarian interaction. When hearts touch and we interact and say the will of God back, that's why we love praying the Bible, everybody. The Bible is the script of the heart of God. And when I say it back to him, he doesn't get new information. He gets the dynamic interaction he desires. Everybody, does this make sense to you? I wish I could just talk with each one of you alone. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Heart engaged, mouth going, because out of the overflow of the heart. Yeah. So it's the sealing up of the very heart desire that's in us. And when that happens, something glorious happens. So my last one before we take a potty break in number eight, through redemption, 
We're going to say this exact thing at the end of the next session. Through redemption, we've been invited. We have been invited into the Trinitarian relational dialogue and partnership. That's a pretty intense sentence. You've not been invited to do churchy stuff. It's a big deal. You've been invited into the Trinitarian love affair and divine purpose making. In him. So Adam and Eve, to, under my theory, they, they didn't lose just a garden. They lost God. That's what they lost. They didn't lose heaven and now they get hell. They lost God and are going to get an inheritance and a life without God. Hell is hell because God's not there. Heaven is heaven because God is there. God's the reward of the gospel. They were engaged in the Trinitarian. I tell you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all moving in that garden. And they were moving around with them. I make fun of this all the time. Naked and happy and unashamed. Not a navel on them. Because they weren't born. They were made, right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. And there they are, and it's unashamed, and they're interacting, and I want to get the video. It doesn't tell us how long they were there before the talking serpent comes in. I think they'd been there a little while, and it actually spread the real estate out. They were supposed to take Eden and spread it over the whole earth. That's just my theory. I'm not building any orthodoxy on it. But they were doing what they were called to do because they were involved in the Trinitarian dynamic of love and relationship and purpose. Then they stepped out of it with lie. Hey, did God really say? You know what that was? It was like a big cane, a hook around their neck. Come out of God and start to think with me. Come out of the Trinity and start to, is everybody okay? That's what happened. And then they started to think funky things. And then they looked at trees different. Oh, my gosh, when did that tree get here? It had been there the whole time in the middle of the garden. Suddenly they're like, my mouth's watering. I want that. I want that. I want that. Because deception happened that drew them out of their Trinitarian position that then got them moving in the flesh and the species was changed. Thank you, Grandpa Adam and Grandma Eve for where we are today. <laughs> but the last Adam has marched on the human race through the cross. And through the resurrection, he's bringing about the new creation, the new exodus, the new everything. And it's happening in us. We are the visitation on planet Earth. Praise God. Everybody got it? Got it? It's a lot of words. But what I'm trying to get you to do is to meditate on who your God is and how your God's interacting. That I made the point that that reality is why we pray. Why do I pray? Because God prays. God talks to God. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, set this seal in our hearts right now. We pray. I pray for theologians of the heart that are fascinated. It'll take all eternity to learn the glory of who you are. We've scratched the surface. I'm asking for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Fascinate our hearts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit how you interacted, how you interacted in the Bible. Thank you for little windows. We just thank you that you uh, love each other and that you're purposing together. We pray you catch us up in this thing. This is what's normal. You are the reason for our reality. In Jesus' name.